The 80s were an era of musical excess, and photographer Mark Weissguy Weiss was there to document the biggest and most dangerous bands of the time. From Van Halen, Ozzy, Metallica, to Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, and Guns N' Roses, the Decade That Rock podcast will look back at the period's most historic music and moments through Mark's iconic images. New interviews with rock stars, both old and new, will give fans a backstage pass to the most hedonistic era in music. Along for the ride is me, Mark's co-host, Greg Alpern, music journalist, comedy podcast host, and 80s rock addict, and I'll help shape the conversation from a fan's perspective. Come with us for a decadent celebration of the decade that rocked. How are you? Blessed. I'm terrific. Uh, I just announced, uh, just to coincide with Mark's book, my <laughs> return to Quiet Riot. I need to push that book. So I figured... We got to return push. to Quiet Riot. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for doing that for Mark. Thanks for uh, yeah. anything uh, for, for Mark. Yeah. After all these years to, uh, That's to true. pop back into Quiet Riot. Well, well, the, the, the first time I actually met Rudy was when I did this uh, cover. No, 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 no. no. Oh, what am yeah. I talking about? I did this. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> the first, no, you didn't let me finish. The first time I met Rudy in Quiet Riot. Riot. Ah! <laughs> and it's, that's true. Um, because uh, with Quiet Riot, like, I mean, I've shot, when I shot you with Ozzy and, and Randy, it, yeah. I, I, was, I was just starting out. It was 1981. I was really a new kid on the block. And, and I was yeah. fortunate enough to shoot Randy, uh, you know, one time. Uh, and several times live, but uh, we didn't do a lot of photo shoots in 81. Uh, and it wasn't until when you, with Quiet Riot, is when, you know, the magazine world was like, you know, raging and everyone wanted pictures of, of Quiet Riot. And then we did a lot of photo shoots and whatnot. So I, that's how I felt like I, I got to know you during those days. As I recall, you, uh, what's his name? Neil... The other photographer, Neil, that shot Led Zeppelin. Oh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Preston. Neil Preston. Neil Preston and Ross Halfin were the only photographers we worked on that 81 tour with. That was it. So mm. you were part of very small. Uh, yeah. 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 No, I'm trying to think of anybody else. No, because Ross used to travel with us. Right. It would yeah, be you, on the tour bus. Yeah. Yeah. I was and, just getting my feet wet. I was just getting my feet wet, and uh, and of course that's how I developed my relationship with Ozzy. Yeah. Um, but uh, unfortunately, it was my my only shoot with Randy. It was the one we did at the Capitol Theater. Uh, yes, back, of course. Backstage, I, yeah. I, I'll never forget that. And, and when I say three photographers that we actually shot off stage. Right. Right. Of you course. know, like like yeah. like what you did. There were we just about every gig, especially as we moved along and the word out about about Randy and Ozzy got out there would then there was more interest and there were more photographers on the pit in the pit but right. as far as just doing a photo right. session off stage you you three guys yeah yeah Mark, what, what year was what year was that at the capitol theater 81 81 yeah yeah wow early on on the tour i think we had just done uh the palladium or right before the palladium it's one of those shows like it was like the first couple of weeks of the tour mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah. So, so let's talk about your book. Come on. Book. I, yeah, I want to talk about it because uh, it's, it's, it's a very sport, uh, a very important part in the Quiet Riot history because it's that missing link of what happened between when when Quiet Riot 
ceased to exist as a band when Randy left. Then we did one reunion show, but it's not, that's not putting the band back together because Randy was already, you know, recording with Ozzy. And then we pick up Quiet Riot again in March of 1983, the week when the album Mental Health was released on Tuesday. You know, they used to drop albums on yeah. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. That weekend, we did four sets in two nights at the Roxy. Two sets each night. And the genius that we are, we had King Biscuit or Westwood One, one of those two, recorded live. <laughs> Our very first show live, uh, which, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, it was cool because it, this, is, this is what it was like the very first night that we got together. There's a lot of electricity and a lot of hum from the noises and the amplifiers. <laughs> and Greg, the book that, that Rudy's uh, talking about is not my The Decade That Rocked. It's the book that I'm uh, self-publishing with Missy Whitney, who is the fan club president yeah. from the Dubrow out, bro years into uh, mental health. And, uh, you know, and as Rudy put it, as I was listening to Eddie Trunk, as mm. the missing link era of Quiet yeah. Riot, really, because yeah. Dubrow really was Quiet Riot. I mean, it, but it was his in between to get it all together and and segue it and and turn it into yes yes and yes and no yes and no see Dubrow I saw it as one part of the consciousness of Quiet Riot you know once Randy left Quiet Riot he left a huge part of the consciousness and when I say consciousness I can even I can even predate what became known as the mental health version of the band, the consciousness with me personally, starting with Frankie Benali, when I started playing with him, next year commemorates 50 years that I met Frankie on my birthday, November 18, 1950. I have seen, I, was, I watched his band, uh, Ginger, perform at a place called Pirate's World. They open up for David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust tour. The only tour Ziggy, uh, that, that version of the band ever did in America. That was it. And uh, I, I'm there, I'm watching. I have no idea who this opening band is, but the drummer was just blowing me away. I couldn't believe it. It was just, uh, I kept telling my date, like, I can't believe, these guys are amazing. Look at that drummer. He's the best drummer I've ever seen, right? So the next day I go to the Flying Machine, which was the local hangout. And I'm talking to somebody and they go, hey, that's one of the guys that from Ginger, the band that played last night for Bowie. And I bolted to tell this guy how great the band was and how great the drummer was, right? So I'm doing that. Hi, I'm Rudy. And man, I saw you guys play last night with Bowie and your drummer, he's amazing. And he smiles and shakes my hand and goes, hi, I'm Frankie. I'm the drummer. I thought he was the bass player. I was in the cheap seats all the way in the back, you know? And... I had no idea that his band, Ginger, had just broken up. So he was looking for something to do, you know, some musicians. And I saw him and I said, this is the guy that I want to play with. Because up until then, I was playing locally in Miami. And it was that cultural top 40 scene, which was very rich musically. But for me to really define myself as a rock musician, I needed to play with rock players. And Frankie was it. You know, I saw him as the, of all the drummers I've seen locally, I mean, between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, 
he was the guy, you know. So I would drive along with my brother, Robert, every day from Miami <laughs> to Fall Lauderdale to rehearse with Frankie. And we would do like crazy stuff and we put crazy bands together and everything. Then later on, uh, we, we played in, in Chicago, in the Chicago circuit with a band called uh, Shatterstar. Then we moved to LA and we were living together with a band called Scarab. And, uh, you know, before you know it, we are, 10 years later, we're making Metal Health in 1982. Next year, it's 40 years that we re-recorded re that album. Wow. And I got to tell you, see, what happens is, and, and you know this because you've met enough Sunset Strip bands in the 70s when I got there and I joined Quiet Riot. It was, to me, it was a continuation of playing with Frankie, being in the Midwest with him. There was this consciousness of, first of all, it's all about the music. We're starving. We're sleeping on the floor, but we're here to make it. And it's all about the music. Nothing else, right? No outside. You know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all these distractions, all, all these opinions of people. No, it was about the guys in the band, what we thought, what, how are we going to take this? How are we going to get signed, right? So that was when I joined Choir Riot, that was the focus. We never talked about anything else. You know, and that is a consciousness. If you talk to any of the guys, let's say Nikki Six, with any of the incarnations that became Motley Crue, if you talk talk to Stephen Piercy about Rat, early Rat, Mickey Rat, any of that, Dokken, all those guys, it was all about the music. That was it. You know, so that consciousness. Once Randy left, he left a huge void in Choir Riot because. We all share, in, we all had in common the same bands. We were all fans of the same band and it reflected in what we did, right? So to be honest with you, I was banging my head against the wall. I remember one day after Randy left, New Wave, Punk, they seemed like this is, this is the end because that's what we were told by the record companies. And of course, and of course during the period of like two years, I learned a lot. I learned about myself, who I, who I am as a musician. I, I could never be in a new wave band because I'm not a new wave band consciousness guy or punk. I am, which was at the root of just about every 70s Sunset Strip band. Yeah. We were glam. We were really glam. We were all about Queen, uh, Rod Stewart and the Faces, uh, Mata Hoople, uh, Elton John in the case of, of, uh, of Quiet Riot, huge influence was Humble Pie, you know, and it was all about that. We could not be anything else but that. But, you know, that was part of my journey. Though, so I, I, by the time that I started playing with Dubrow, I had redefined myself and, and say, okay, this is who I really am. It doesn't matter if, if only new wave bands or punk bands are getting signed. I, that's not me. I can't do that, you know. And so I'm playing with Dubrow and I get the call to join, you know, to audition for, for Ozzy. And it's funny because I'm sleeping on the floor in Kevin's apartment. I get this phone call and Kevin goes, Hey, there's somebody on the phone for you. And I go, I answer, I go, uh, hi, how you doing? And, they, oh, and she says, hi, I'm Sharon. I'm Ozzy's manager. And Randy keeps telling me that, uh, you're, you're a bassist and we're looking for a bassist. And would you like, come, like to come down on audition? At that time, in addition to playing with Dubrow, 
I was also playing in Angel. No record deal, nothing. Everybody was scrambling to, to survive in Angel. But I thought, well, this is as close as I'm going to get to getting a record deal because there's interest from, from labels right now, but I was still sleeping on the floor. So I turned it down. And it was Kevin that once I hang up the phone and he asked me, so who was that? And I said, it's always oh, Ozzy's manager that wanted me to audition, but I turned it down because, you know, I'm playing with Angel. And he goes, you know, he starts yelling at me. <laughs> you know, the next day I got a call again. And it's from Ozzy. And by then, I just don't want to get yelled at by Kevin ever again. So I said, so not only, you know, plus he mentioned to me something that I did not realize when I turned it down. It was the fact I was going to get to play with Randy again. Yeah. I was just shooting from the hip. I said, oh, no, thank you. I'm, I'm you know, I'm fine the way, you know, I'm sleeping on the floor. Right? This is good. <laughs> so, so, so then, uh, you know, I joined Ozzy. And I'm, I'm playing with Randy. And what was great about that is that I'm playing again with the family. I'm playing with Randy. See, we were family. We're, our consciousness, you know, here we are. We're like same, coming from the same place. But now we're playing with Ozzy on tour and playing with all the, you know, a huge audience. And it was big. But it was still two guys from Choir Riot in that band, you know. So... As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, about a, a, right after we did the Palladium show, uh, at the next gig, Sharon pulls me to the side. Right before we go on, she takes me to an empty locker room. We were playing in an arena. And she goes, uh, let me show you something. Okay, so she draws like a square with her finger on the, on the ground. And she says, I want you to stand here. This is your spot. You're not going to be moving outside of the square. And you're not going to be in front of Ozzy. If he moves back, you move back with him. You can't put your foot on, on the uh, drum riser. You, you cannot go over to Randy's side of the stage. She just read, read me all these rules. And I understood because my consciousness, all that I knew was from playing on the Sunset Strip, you know, in a glam band, Quiet Riot with Randy, right? To me, playing with Ozzy was not my education to metal, real metal. Being on tour with Motorhead, oh boy, I got an education what real metal is all about. You know, and then, of course, playing in England and uh, with the UK with Ozzy and, and, and in Europe opening up for Saxon, it was like, wow, okay, this is a whole different consciousness than I used to with Choir Riot. Still, I am more comfortable in that quiet riot consciousness than anything else because it's 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 me it's yeah. who i am it's, it's what i grew up playing and, and and so on but the attitude of metal i gotta tell you if you have the combination of just going out there and kicking ass and being melodic at the same time which is what i gravitated towards with the uh with more of the glam more song oriented but power that's that's power pop you know Metal, metal pop, pop metal, which is really defined very well by that Metal Health album. There's so much metal, but it's still very melodic, you right. know. And uh, so that is the consciousness of Quiet Riot. And every time, ever since, 
you know, when I when I left, the only time I've ever left Quiet Riot was in 1985. When when we had the reunion in the 90s, the band broke up. It was just like we can we can carry on after you know with what's going on, right. and that happened in 2003. The band breaking up, you know. So for me to return back to the consciousness that is me. You know, it's it's really a gift to yeah. be able to do that. You know, to to celebrate the legacy of of the of the brothers that I made that music with and I toured that music with and we were started going out in station wagons and then driving ourselves around in RVs because we believe in one thing, feeling the noise and banging our heads. That's at the core, that's at the heart and soul of the consciousness of Quiet Riot. So, I mean, that's amazing. Um, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> so what, like, what do you think now, like differences now, obviously with different members, like how does that change or does it not? Like when you go back out on the road with these guys who you haven't played, right? You haven't played with them. Have you played with them in this lineup? No, no. With Jizzy, Pearl, and Johnny Kelly, and and Alex Grossi, no, of course I I have not. I have not played in the band since uh, eighteen uh, two thousand and three, eighteen right. years ago. Yeah. So how yeah. do you think that, like, what the differences are going to be, you know, in that consciousness with new guys forty years yeah. past met, mental health? Yeah. Uh, about a year ago, after Frankie passed away, uh, a year ago, I would say about a few days after he passed away, almost a year ago, uh, I got together with Regina just just to see her and say hello and you know try to comfort her. And uh, she asked me about coming back to Quiet Riot. Right. And oh boy, I was not ready for that because I, I you know, you know, you never. You never get over the loss, sure. but it happened. I was there by Frankie's deathbed a couple hours before he passed away. You know, and I, I was not ready to even think about that, you right. know? And, and then he mentioned to me that Frankie had mentioned to her that he was going to ask me at some point. See, what, what, what actually... It's a double whammy because you have Frankie going through chemo. He would do like double sessions of chemo and also some alternative yeah. med medication. And he was, and then he would just try to save his strength to go on the road and play with the band. And then you had COVID. We didn't have the vaccine. Sure. The vaccine wasn't even available yet when he died. Right. So he couldn't be around people. Like myself, you know, he could be around the band and, you know, and, and everybody else that, that was part of the, of the event. But to start bringing extra people, especially in 2020, uh, and I got, I, I, I got to tell you, it's, it, it was very rough. So, you know, we would communicate through texts, sure. you know, and, uh, what it actually means to me is to be able to actually go in and 
reconnect with that consciousness of what is like, what is being me, really being me. Because I got to tell you, no matter what band I play with outside of Quiet Riot, I was enough of me to fit the band that I'm playing in. For example, when I joined Whitesnake, David Coverdale had been opening up for Quiet Riot in 1984. So he knew well what I was all about, right. you know, as far as my performance and everything, right? And so when I joined the band, I asked David, uh, what, what do you want me to do on stage? And he just said, be yourself. And I go, okay, thank you. But nevertheless, I was in a band that was actually somebody else's vision, sure. somebody else's consciousness of what a rock band it should be. Really enjoyed it. I learned so much. And it's one of the most uh, fulfilling uh, bands in my career. So is playing with Dio. Yeah. I brought in a little bit of, of a choir riot with me into Dio. Very little. Because Dio is perfect as it was. <laughs> I didn't have to bring anything <laughs> into it. But nevertheless, there was the spirit in there, like the joy. It's like joy. Okay, I, I was joyful playing with Quiet Riot, and I got this joy playing playing with Ronnie. And I learned so much from him. But to actually go back to where I felt the most comfortable, because it was four guys being themselves. Nothing beats that. You don't have to ask anybody, can I do this? Should I do that? No, it's like, do what you do. Otherwise, you will not be there. Right. It's your own, own personal contribution that makes up the, for, you know, that, that magical formation, right. you know, and, it, and if you don't belong there, you won't be there. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be a super exciting, cool, fun time i imagine you know going back out and, and doing this now yeah we still have a lot to prove ourselves I, I have a lot to prove to myself and by proving it to myself i maybe i'll prove it to some other people you know because you know it's 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 very simple i could have just spent the rest of my years playing in somebody else's band even as enjoyable as it is let's say the guess who right you know and uh, with, with, with the Guess Who, I am very comfortable. Family, I'm playing songs that which is part of the soundtrack of my life and wonderful people. And, but it's not, I didn't start that. Yeah. That started long time ago. It's a whole different consciousness and a whole different vision. And, you know, to be honest with you, I play because I, I am a musician. To me, ma making music is like breathing. You right. know, I need to breathe, you know, it's not like I need to play because I got to pay bills. No, I thank God I'm in a position financially that I won't have to do that. As a matter of fact, I, I can play better because I won't have the pressure. Right. I'm not pressuring to like, well, I got to join this band or play with these guys because I got to make some money on the side, blah, blah, blah. You know, no, it's like, and so these are my happiest days. And these are the days that I can live. I can sit back and say, what do I really want to do for the rest of my life? Not what I have to do, but what I really want to do for the first, you know, for the rest of my, of my playing days. And I want to end my playing days, whenever that might happen, 
in the future being myself. Right. And that's quite in the band, you know, in the band that I, that I am a founding member of. Right. The, the metal held quiet riot version of the band. Right. So like that's, that's, you know, a good, a good point to, to ask. So do you like, is your plan now this like quiet riot? And then if that lasts for six months or six years, is that the, are you going to kind of end it? As far as like you're playing out live, if if choir, you know, whatever the ultimate end is with this this version of choir. No, well, those are those are two circumstances. Right. My my expiration date, I don't know what it is. You know, as far as being a musician, and I made an agreement with God 40 years ago before I even stepped on a professional stage, that as long as my fingers kept moving, I was going to keep playing. Right. That's it. But fingers are moving. I keep playing. playing. That's my agreement, you know. Well, and uh, kept you in great shape and looking way younger than your years. <laughs> I mean, you, it's it's amazing, you know. Truly, you know, like, all of that I believe is really an option that everybody has, right? You know, if you're if <laughs> if your option is like, well, I'm not going to work at, you know, being in shape. I put it this way: I work my ass off to stay in shape. When I was young, right, I did. I would in uh, in the hotel before the show, you know, work out, do do my crunches, get the blood pumping, stretch. I do I do yoga nowadays. I, uh, Chris Jericho turned me on to DDP yoga. Yeah, DDP yoga. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I do that, and and it's a, like I'm doing it. I'm looking at the screen. I'm doing this exercise, and I go, I can't believe that I'm getting so much out of doing this DDP yoga compared to like even, even me going to the gym. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable, you know. But uh, it, it's really an option. You have to make a decision. Am I going to not give a shit anymore about how I look like? It's fine. It's your perception. It's your decision. But it's not mine. Yeah. No, no I'm sorry. No, no. I'll talk. <laughs> So let let's talk about you and your history with with uh, Mark. Like, Mark. I mean, you guys have known <laughs> each other for fifty, no, forty years. Forty right? years. Forty, 40 years. years. As a matter of fact, forty years. Yeah, forty years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Today, you have already done the uh, the photo shoot with us. Right. So yeah. he, he shot you for that. That he keeps he keeps that that forty five. Like I think in his back pocket, he show, he shows it off so much that mm -hmm. like, part of his hip that forty five. <laughs> and I mean, it obviously means a tremendous amount to Mark, you know, mm -hmm. that photo shoot and the relationship that he's had with yeah. and through all of these years. And I imagine to you, you know, so like, why don't you guys talk about that a little bit? Like, you know, when you guys first shot together and just the experiences you've had, you know, as obviously at the at that time, young kids. Yeah, I, I was just starting out with Ozzy and so was Mark starting out with his uh, career as a photographer. Uh that's one of the things that I really connected with him. You know, he wasn't jaded or anything. Uh, he was just like enthusiastic and wanted to work with the band and wanted to make the band look great. And so he looks great as a photographer. Look at it. Look at my shots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was perfect. What was your point of view of the whole thing? Well, for I, you? I, I, first of all, I love bands from and i and i came from the same uh the cloth i mean i loved mott the hoople uh bowie aerosmith you know nugent kiss you know and uh you know 
we all, those were our influences. For me, it was almost a visual influence as well as music and, and I'm sure Rudy as well. And bands from that, that decade, I could, you know, Queen, I mean, they're all, you know, we're all in the same, you know, feeling of, of, of it. And, and we bring that spirit to the eighties and we share the same connection and it's like being in high school pretty much, you know, and we were, we were like, you know, very similar, uh, you know, starting out, like Rudy said, uh, I was a little younger, but you know, I was new to it and, uh, to, to the big arena stages. And, uh, it was just fun meeting friends. And I always tell everyone, even to this day, uh, I don't go to with a price tag when I do a photo shoot. Uh, you know, I know bands that have money, no bands that don't. I always say, what do you got? You know? And, uh, and ones that don't have it and they're, and I like them, you know, cause it's like, it's just, it's the way I make friends. Like every time I shoot a new band, it's like four or five new friends. And, uh, I was always shy in high school and I didn't have a lot of friends, you know, until, until I stuck my camera into Peter Frampton in 76 and, and I brought the picture to the school and everyone's, these girls started coming up to me and, you know, I started selling them out of my locker for a buck a piece. And, you know, I started having girlfriends. And so that brought me out of my shell. And then, uh, so that was my, my way. So when I, you know, you know, instead of meeting girls, like I, I want to meet the guys that bring the girls, you know, and, uh, these cool looking rock stars and rock bands, and they're nice guys, you know, like they're, they, we just came from the same cloth. And it's just, like I said, even today, like I, I get excited and even nervous when I shoot new bands, you know, even if they're not, they don't have a record deal, you know, that's like, I want to make them look good. You know, maybe they don't know uh, confident in themselves and it's really up to me. Like the first time I shot Ozzy and Ozzy, I give Ozzy a lot of credit that it, um, giving me my confidence as a photographer, because my first, uh, one of my first, uh, big shoots was with Ozzy for the cover of circus. And, uh, it's 1981. Uh, and here I am, this kid, I was only 21 or 22 and I'm setting up the lights and, you know, waiting for Ozzy to come in and starting to shoot him. Uh, I was a little nervous, you know, and he, he comes in, he goes, Hey, how you doing? You know, and I showed him my portfolio, my little portfolio of my tear sheets out of circus magazine. I was showing off and we sat down and we, you know, talked a little, and then we started shooting. He goes, all right, now what do you want to do? I said, all right, let's go and do a photo shoot. And we stand there. And then I started looking at him and looking, you know, at the light and the angles. And I'm looking at him, looking at the Polaroids. And I felt like he needed a little help because he had, he had a little bit of a, you know, uh, you know, chin. And I, I, I wanted to bring that out of him. And I knew by moving forward helps that you know, and me come a little higher. And, and I kept saying, Ozzy, can you move to me a little bit? And, and I was a little bit of a mumbler back then. Cause I was a little shy and like, you know, um, you know, not a lot of confidence. So, uh, I would like say, you yeah, move a little forward. He's, he's like, what Mark? I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah. That's it. He goes, what's it? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, we had a little joke in the beginning and, and then we just started from there and here, you know, he's like, now what do you want me to do, Mark? So here I got Ozzy, you know, who was in Black Sabbath, the Prince of Darkness, like asking me like what to do. And I was in control over, you know, creating something. And then when it came out, they loved it. Well, actually at first they didn't because it was the pink tutu that wasn't supposed to be, but it turned, 
it turned around that they ended up loving it. But I have a few months that no one would return my calls. <laughs> I learned a lot, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, but it, it ended up, you know, the relationship. And I give because of, you know, his belief in me as a photographer that he didn't even know. I guess he figured, like, since I got the job, I must know what I'm doing. But I really, you know, I'm self-taught. I didn't really know what I'm, you know, it's like I look, I angle, I light, I shoot. And uh, just that was, that's just a little story I, you know, I would share. No, I love that. I love that. Um, uh, regarding the uh, the photo session that we did with Ozzy, you and Oz. Yeah. Uh, do you have a photo nearby? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're going to look at the photo. And I'm going to, I'm going to pinpoint certain things about it. Oh, that's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay, okay, okay. So you, you have the photo of Randy. Okay, if you look at me, I'm wearing a striped dance skin, <laughs> a dance skin top, which is a dancer's top, right? Yeah. With like pleather. So that's not even like, like that's like 1981 fake leather that I found somebody on Melrose to make me custom because Sharon gave me some money to get some clothes, right? And right before the tour, and and I went to Melrose. Everything was punk. This is 1981. It was all punk and new wave. And it's like, uh, I don't know. So I ran across this Danskin place. And I go, oh, it's got stripes. And this is my reference, Quiet Riot. Oh, I'm going to wear the same thing because I'm comfortable with that consciousness. Bringing to Ozzy on stage, right? And I bring these, uh, these uh, custom-made uh, pleather pants. And, and my shoes were Capizio's. Dancer shoes. So I get the pants and the guy made them too short. So I had to go out and get dancers leg warmers. Because my they, they, they were too short. You know, it looked like Michael Jackson's before. This is my right. before Michael Jackson, yeah. you know, with the white socks, you know. Yeah. And so I put the uh, I, I put the leg warmers on just to kind of like cover that area. And yeah, that would have worked on Sunset Strip. With a with a uh, you know with a glam band, but look at that! It's it's kind of like yeah. four different looks in that in that photo. It was not a cohesive metal like let's say Motorhead. Yeah. Everybody's wearing jean jackets with patches that say Motorhead, yeah. uh, Ace of Spade, and you know stuff like that. That was what Sharon wanted—a cohesive look. That's why for the Diary of a Madman tour, they made us outfits to look to go with the set with the. With the castle set, so every so there was no question about how Sharon visioned the band image-wise. Didn't, didn't you wear something similar um, at, at the US Festival? Like, I, for some no. reason, no, no. I might have worn the boots because I started. I kept wearing the boots. Remember, I finished playing with Ozzy whenever we did the Speak of the Devil. Black Sabbath re-recordings at the Ritz. What was that? September, October of 82? Right. About four or five months later, I w I'm out with Quiet Riot. Yeah. I, I recorded half of my contributions to the record. I play on the whole record except for two songs that were recorded before I even went to do the session that I originally did for Thunderbird uh, that Chuck Wright played on, uh, Bang Your Head, and the other one is uh, Don't Want to Let You Go. And I did that session with Quiet Riot. And a couple of days later, I flew out to start 
to meet Ozzy, the band, and and rehearse for the Speak of the Devil Black Sabbath re-recordings that we did live at the uh, at the Ritz. And after I did that, that's where I decided to uh, to uh, to leave Ozzy, to leave Ozzy. And I got to tell you, it was. One the hardest decision I have I've, I've ever made as far as a career career decision because this is what happened once Randy was gone my my choir riot consciousness the guy who shared that with me wasn't there anymore right I didn't have I I let me put it this way every show I was surviving it not only have I lost Randy. Everything I've lost his, his I, I lost family, right. family, you know? Sure. And when I went in to do that session for that, for just to play on Thunderbird, here I am playing with Frankie, who has been part of my life for 10 years prior to that. He's playing drums. And of course, Kevin, I was living with him. I had, I had prior to me joining Ozzy, I had been, uh, playing with Quiet Him and Quiet Riot with Randy since 78. This is 1982. And it's family. I, I found my family because, you know, in life, anything that means something to you that you lose, you spend the, the rest of your life looking for it. And once you find it, it's there, you know? Sure. And I, I I lost my family when, when, I, when, when I lost Randy. And to go back and play with the guys. I found my family again. Right. In Choir Riot. You know, and that was my decision. I left because I needed that. I needed to, to be part of that family, familiar consciousness that I was, that I connected with. Right. Well, I mean, look, I mean, you know, I can't imagine the difficult nature of that decision, but, you know, going back into Choir Riot, like the traditional, the trajectory and ultimately what turned out obviously it was a you know you would look at it as a the right decision you know to make but more importantly to yourself it's the right decision it was but, the only decision right it, i i have become a robot i lost my soul once once randy died i was surviving every show all i did was just look at the ground you know go like this you know swing my bass and, and play notes i was i wasn't even playing music anymore Right. I, I lost my GPS completely. Yeah. I really did. My guidance, you know. And I found it again in Quiet Riot. And I got to tell you, I'm going for like one of the biggest bands in the world that I was treated so well. Sharon Ozzy were golden with me. That's what made the decision so hard. Right. Them, you know, for the complete unknown, but going back to that Quiet Riot consciousness that I was a part of. You know, I was not part of the of the Black Sabbath consciousness, even though I respect the band and I and you know, I my God, incredible music, incredible musicians, but that that wasn't like the style of music that I grew up with listening to. Right. You know? Yeah, it's it's I mean totally understandable. Yeah. Um, but 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 you know, having said that, I learned so much. I really did. When when I was playing with Ozzy, I learned about the business from Sharon. I watched and I listened, kept my mouth shut, became very teachable because finally I have somebody to really teach me 
about things that were so alien and, and so far away from me, you know, being a musician coming from a Latin culture in Miami to actually be right there in the midst with, uh, with Sharon, who had been working with her father, Don Arden, one of the, one of the, in the you know, my God, in, 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 the, in, the, in the rock British invasion, he was one of the architects of sure. how to how the business ran. Oh uh, yeah, you know, sure. you know, and so I learned so much. I learned musically. I went outside the box, playing playing Black Sabbath songs and playing the Ozzy material. And uh, boy, I I gained so much from that that it really made me a better human being and a better musician. Right. Do um. <laughs> Do you like, and then obviously you went and played with with Dio for a while, right? Like, you yes, I did. Yeah, there's some like odd, like karma's not karma. That's not the wrong word, but something that kind of keeps you in that world, you know, because of Ronnie, you know, with Black Sabbath, and granted, Ozzy wasn't in the band, but still all kind of intertwined and related to each other. To be honest with you. <laughs> When when I when I was living with Kevin, we used to go out to the Starwood just about every night. I mean, we weren't about to stay home. You know, we weren't going to miss out on any any day of the week not being out, out there, you know, either at the Rainbow or, or at the Starwood. And uh, he used to crank uh, the uh, Heaven and Hell record. Yeah. You know, with, uh, with Ronnie singing. That was my reference to Black Sabbath. Right that record really listening when i recorded those uh black sabbath songs from speak of the devil a lot of the stuff was completely new to me i had never heard it before you know yeah because i was more familiar with the with the ronnie version of the band just because you know it was more song oriented right mark did you ever shoot ronnie yeah absolutely he was um Probably 1983 was the first time when he went solo. Uh, actually, no, I go back uh, when it, the first Sabbath tour. Uh, um, I was there. I was on assignment uh, for Us magazine, so I got uh, backstage. I think it was the Garden. It was the Black and Blue tour, right. and uh, you know they were starting to get a little buzz going from the album. And I set up a photo shoot. Uh, with Eric Bloom actually for, for Black and Blue, uh, for um, Blue Oyster Cult with his motorcycle. And after I was done with that, I went up to the tour manager and I said, uh, you know, I'm doing some Blue Oyster Cult stuff. I'm with Circus Magazine. Uh, you think I can get the band together for, for a quick shoot? And he said, uh, oh, let me check. And he went, got the guys, he got the guys together. I had my lights already set up, you know, looking for opportunity, there it was. And, uh, I shot them and, you know, it was pretty quick, maybe 10 minutes. Um, and then after Ronnie stayed behind and he's like, did you get everything you needed? I said, yeah, I think I did. I said, well, do you want to, do you want to do some solo shots or anything? Now, I don't know if he's already thinking like, you know, he wanted to, you know, stand out on his own, but he was like, and I did. And in my book, it's like the full page of him, uh, you know, it was my first time I shot him by himself. And since that relationship, uh, I did several things with Black Sabbath uh, and that, we, we uh, you know, those two albums. So, and, and whenever I did Ozzy and I was going back to Black Sabbath, I wouldn't tell the other ones where I was and what I was doing. You know, it was like, I was like the girlfriend that had, uh, you know, two boyfriends, you know. 
So uh, I, I kept them separate. Um, but then when Ronnie went solo uh, and Faces Magazine was born, he was like the first cover on it. And and I shot him against this. I used to go to, to try to find props, you know, because I, you know, the seamless on its own was to me was a little boring and uh, I wanted to do something. And so I started bringing props into it. So I went to Spencer's and got the fish net, uh, you know, and I put lights behind it and all that. And I set it up in my studio. It was like my... I got my first studio in the city in 1983 and Ronnie was one of the first people to come in and I set it all up. He comes in and he was getting into this character and it was, it was an awesome shoot and it was on the cover. And, uh, to this day, uh, you know, Wendy even tells me that that was Ronnie's favorite photo. And, and when sadly, when he passed, um, when I was, uh, signing in on the guest book, um, Rob Halford was in front of me and he, and he, and he looked up and the photo was there and I didn't even see it. He goes, Oh, what a great photo of, of Ronnie. I go, I wonder when that was. And I looked up and it was the, my fo that photo, the first <laughs> shoot I did with him. And, you know, Wendy told me like that was his favorite. And she actually, I just got her book and she wrote me a little note saying that, you know, Ronnie thought you were like, you know, one of his favorites, you know? That's so nice. yeah, we've, we've uh, done a lot through the decades, you know? And he's, he's an amazing guy. Like, you know, like, like JJ said, uh, Rudy, we're on with JJ and he said the two nicest guys in rock and roll and guess who they were? Ronnie and you. Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and we didn't, we didn't say, uh, by the way, we're, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, totally not I gotta say Ronnie, I learned so much from him and it was really interesting because I have been already, uh, doing uh, this, you know, for 25 years when I played with him. It started in night in 2004, right after Choir Riot. And uh, I thought, yeah, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I mean, you know, oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, that's great. Love that. That's the photo. Love that. Uh, playing with Ronnie, it was a whole level of professionalism, humanitarian. Uh, let's put it this way. I have never been in a band where the road crew would be with other bands. And when they would make a call to each of the guys on the road crew and says, hey, Ronnie's putting, you know, if Ronnie's going on tour on such and such a date. The crew will go to whoever is the tour manager and say, listen, by this date, I got to go because Ronnie needs me. And they'll go, go for it. That's how much respect. He's got to be the most respected musician I have ever played with. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, when he was, um, when, when they asked me to shoot the hearing aid stuff, uh, an honor, you know, I mean, I flew into, I think it was at A&M and, and have, you know, Ronnie orchestrate these musicians that everyone, you know, it was everyone talking about Ronnie, you know, and, and how great it, they couldn't believe being there and just, just the environment yeah. that he, he created just yeah. was amazing. It will never be duplicated. Yeah, it's like this. Everybody in that in the crew already had a job. So they're not here because they need the money. No, they were doing something else. They're here because they wanted to be there for Ronnie. Yeah. That's as pure as it was. And when we were touring Scandinavia, the band and the crew shared the tour bus. And there is Ronnie. Surrounded by the whole crew, the crew loved him. Of course, we all in the band loved him too. But see, we got to spend more time with him. With the crew, it was like a treat for them to be around Ronnie, and it was a treat for Ronnie to be to be with the crew. It, it was all family. 
And then the fan base would follow the band from country to country. Because, in, of course, in Europe, you can just drive around, you know. Basically, a country is like a state in the United States. Yeah. So driving from yeah. Florida to Georgia would be like Germany to, uh, to, to France, I guess, you know. So they would just follow the band from show to show. And then when we happened to play in their hometown, they would bring us over to their home, make barbecue, a party, you know, for us. Because they, because they wanted to. It was an honor for us and for them too. That's how wonderful it was. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. So I, you know, of all the bands that you've been in, you know, tremendous success, I imagine that there's plenty of bands that come to you and want you to play with them, right? That mm -hmm. you obviously don't have the time to go out on tour with. Are there mm -hmm. any that you wish you could have played with or gone out on the road with, even if it was for a short period of time that offered? No, none of the ones that, that asked me to, because what I, what I decided to do turned out to be the right, the right choice, sure. you know, and I'm a fan of them too, you know, uh, but one band that I did play with and I was smiling when you were talking about Eric Bloom was Blue Oyster Cult. I played with them for a while. Yeah, of course. And, what a, what a great bunch of guys. I just saw them play here in LA about a week ago and uh, I was hanging with them. And, and before I met Eric, he had this enig enigmatic, mysterious image about him, you know. And he's like one of the warmest, funniest guys you could ever know. It was amazing, amazing job, you know, playing with him, traveling with him, you know, becoming buddies and bandmates was great yeah i think i mean that's when i first <laughs> yeah i love that look at that badass and there's the, and there's badass. the ronnie shot i did this at the same day <laughs> awesome awesome yeah I mean, that's when we met each other is back when you were with blue oyster cult like, yeah blue oyster cult yeah uh, back then yeah and yeah. you know i went to a bunch of those shows when we yeah you, know, you were close to where i was yeah it was really a lot of fun watching you play with them mm -hmm. you know, it was up, a lot of fun for me yeah i i grew up you know in the quiet riot white snake you know era of course and then obviously ozzy and stuff mm -hmm. so, but and then to see you play in that band which is a little older than me I would, it was, it was just awesome. And then you got the chance to stretch it out when they went through some of your, you know, hit songs for you. you know. That was Eric's idea. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he says, you know what? He, he planned it out. He told me exactly what I needed to do. Right. And he just ran the show with that. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. Like I, I didn't expect that. And, and me neither. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like that was a bonus, you know, and the crowd loved it. They went crazy. <laughs> Uh, and those were fun shows, like really, you know, I think, you know, that's what's, you know, I always liked about, about you personally is, you know, watching you on stage, whether it's today, you know, or 30 years ago, like it's authentic, you know, that you're watching someone up there who's having fun, like, and having a oh, good yeah. time and, and oh, yeah. like, it, it's not like there isn't a phoned in or a, you know, yeah. I'm not in the mood to be here tonight. It's like always, you see Rudy, like, you know, Rudy's having a good time. He's smiling, licking the bass like it's 1987. Not obviously licking the bass, you know what I mean? But who that, knows? Yeah. It's, you know, it's very unpredictable. Yeah, unpredictable. <laughs> like, there could be a lick in there. Uh, it could be. <laughs> Mark, do you have any pictures of those from like the 80s? Um, you know, that's what I always loved about knowing, and, and, you know, the guess who, too. I, 
it, it's just like you, that's fun music to play and you're out there yeah it them. is like you're still a kid and you look it is. like one which is amazing i it, you know it's it's music and it's music is timeless so if you really are filled with music you become timeless which means yeah. that you're ageless yeah you know so i like to uh, wrap it up with um uh, we're just getting started what do you mean wrap it up <laughs> <laughs> well uh actually i'm gonna start with you rudy uh you know let's uh tell us about you know some things that you want to tell us about and then i want to end it with something with a little bit of comedy that uh you know so we can, we can oh keep God. talking i mean no you know i i'd rather that you you ask me because i can i can talk just about anything <laughs> you know and i want to make sure that i'm precisely on point with what the subjects though know, we need to address I think I think we did pretty good. You know, uh, the name of the podcast is "The Decade That Rock." We're celebrating mm. that decade and uh, how it came to be that special decade, and uh, the people that were involved with it, and and to where they are today. So I think we we nailed everything. Sure. Um, mm. I did want to uh, like we talked earlier about the book that I have Missy doing uh, called "Keep On Rolling," and. Uh, uh, Rudy did the forward for it, and uh, we're going to try to release it on uh, his birthday, you know, which uh, would have been at the end of October. Um, but in the book, uh, we uh, Missy, the fan club president at the time, uh, had a questionnaire uh, with each of the guys, handwritten, that she kept. And Rudy, I am looking I read at, that. I'm looking at I read Rudy's it. right now. I read so, it, Yeah. Do you remember? All right, so you cheated a little bit. So do you, 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 oh, well, you get me, you get me a, a copy of the book to read. So I, I read it. I read the book, and that's. <laughs> I didn't think. I, I just wanted you to breeze through it. You know, I should have kept this page out. But right, we'll go through the page because now I'm sitting here on the edge of my seat. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. it's uh, favorite group. What is it like? What? Well, Led Zeppelin. Led okay. Zeppelin. Yeah. All right. And favorite albums. Oh, that that I'm gonna remember. I mean, there's so many. All Led Zeppelin, yeah. ELP, yes, yeah. yeah. weather, exactly. weather report, yeah. weather report. Yeah. It's still it's, the same. It, nothing's okay. changed. Favorite color, black, jet black. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, favorite food and drink. Oh, I, you know, and then first of all, I don't drink anymore. I haven't had alcohol in 23 years, so that would have been a whole different answer. It's hot, it's hot and spicy foods and, and dry wine. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, uh, Every, everything that I could not afford <laughs> at the time. Is this during Dubrow or during Quiet Riot? This is this is the first fan club uh, release in the beginning. So it was right when Quiet Riot to, uh, Metal Health was released. Metal Health. Okay. See, by then I have experienced dry wine and right. spicy food with Ozzy. <laughs> <laughs> they would always take us out to dinner. That makes so sense. By then, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So, so what was your favorite mental health song that you, you think back then? Hands down, uh, Thunderbird. It's the song that brought me back into the family. All right. Well, back then it was Run for Cover. <laughs> okay. See, um, see, 30, uh, 40 years later, I look at it and I go, it, this is, it, I have a completely different perspective. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Now to play "Run for Cover," yeah, bam, bam, bam. That song. See, you remember, I was transitioning from playing with Ozzy to playing in Quiet Riot. So anything uh, leaning to on the heavy, 
that was more familiar to me to play rather than something that was more of a ballad. So of all the songs of, of all the bands that you've been in and played on tour with, like what is, do you have a favorite or a few favorite songs you just absolutely always love playing? I mean, I know that's an impossible question to probably answer. Yeah. No, it's not impossible. Uh, because it's, it's the things I do. I do have favorite songs. Yes, of course. Right. But then again, I like to look at the set as a whole, as an yeah. arc, because I, I don't like to approach a set like, well, after I'm done with this song, we got these all the three songs that really suck or that I don't like to play. So I'm going to phone it in. No, I, I can never do that. I got to tweak each song with as much enthusiasm and passion as the, the first and the last song. You know, it's, it's, it's all related, connected. Sure. And it, but but if you uh, pick one song, it would be let's say with White Snake, "Still the Night." Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Fe- uh, come on, feel the noise. Especially back in the '80s. See, nowadays it might be "Bang Your Head, Metal Hell," but back in the '80s, the song that really the uh, that was our gold single was "Come On, Feel the Noise." Yeah. That video is what made the difference because "Bang Your Head." was our first single and it kind of like it didn't do it didn't really crack the top i think the top 40 or something like that so we came back with come and feel the noise and that's the one that got us on the map yeah and then bang your head was re-released again yeah and it kind of like did the same thing that you know not not as well as come and feel the noise unfortunately yeah all right, so last question for me anyway greg you can end with one but what message would you like to get across through your music Oh, what defines Quiet Riot, feel the noise, bang your head. It's about bringing people together. Nothing else. It's all about the music. People, people, you know, say, oh, I miss the 80s and blah, blah, blah. And I go, you know what? 80s is a state of mind. If you really miss the 80s, you can go back to the 80s. You just have to have that same consciousness that made the 80s. Okay. It's in your book. Your book is a perfect example. You just, somebody buys your book, looks at your book and say, okay, if I'm going to return to the 80s, this is my roadmap right here. This is, is your atlas. It's my, it's my time capsule. That's, That's right. Yes. It's everything. Right. Time capsule. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's a consciousness. Everybody is connected in yeah. that book with a one single collective consciousness. So your answer at the end of it was the same question in your fan club 40 years ago was that whoever listens to our music is affected in a positive way and might be inspired to pass the feeling along to the rest of the world. Yeah, the same thing. I haven't changed my, my thought. I know, I know. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I have, you know, I, I don't have any questions. I, I just, uh, you know, Rudy knows I, I respect him tremendously. He's one of the artists through, through the, t- through time that I actually, I mean, I love seeing, talking to, watching perform on stage as much as anyone, you know, that's I've passed through my musical, you know, tastes and career with. So I just want to say thanks for hanging out with us and hope thank to see you. More. Thank you for having me. I, I mean, this is so great to, uh, to to connect into that consciousness again. And I keep using consciousness that you could say anything. You could say mindset, thought, time, whatever. I, I like I like I like consciousness. It's it's, yeah. a, it's good. It's true. Yeah. It's what it is. It it's is what it is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
All right, man. Thank you so much, dude. Really a pleasure. Thank you. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>